1470, 100.3 WMBD, Craig Collins Show. Thrilled to have you with us. Lots of things in the news to be discussed today on the show. Uh, lots of stuff to talk about is how I usually say that. Uh, let's do this first. This is our president. Uh, a week or so ago, I think maybe uh, – no, I think it was last week. He got confused. He was um, in a joint press conference with the British prime minister, and he said that we were planning on building a railroad. And that railroad would go all the way from the Pacific Ocean – well, from the Atlantic Ocean. That's the way he corrected himself uh, last week – all the way to the Indian Ocean. I think the only railroad that's ever actually been discussed is a railroad that goes through sub-Sahara Africa and not necessarily across a bunch of water – um, or if that is a real agenda piece, he certainly means from the Atlantic Ocean uh, toward Europe, where the British prime minister would care at all about that conversation, not necessarily from our, um, our western border in uh, the Pacific Ocean and a very long distance uh, to get all the way to the Indian Ocean. It's a very confusing process. But here he is yet again uh, saying this, and this is something that he has already been, you assume, uh, corrected about and told he's wrong about, and his brain is totally working great because no one can seem to convince him that this is not a thing anyone is trying to do other than him. Well, we're going to win and we're going to help. We have plans to build a railroad from the Pacific all the way across <laughs> the Indian Ocean. We're making it. We have plans to build big. In, in, in Angola, one of the largest solar plants in the world. <laughs> I could go on, but I'm not. I'm I, I could go on and just make up more stuff. It'd be, it'd be great. Uh, we have plans to build a railroad all the way to Santa's house. And we're very excited uh, when we get there to the North Pole because I've been a good boy and I'd like some presents, I feel like is what he would say at the end of that. Uh, that's our president, people. Uh, not at all uh, mentally incapable of the job that he's in uh, because he totally understands what's going on all the time. You know, I like this answer better. Actually, I was planning on playing this third, uh, but this one is one I enjoy. A reporter uh, yelled out a question to him, uh, which is often how he's asked any questions that aren't from a list of people that his team picks for him to begin with, and apparently at times even has the questions beforehand. Uh, but Biden was asked, why did the Ukraine FBI informant file uh, refer to you as the big guy, something that is also all over Hunter Biden's laptop that totally wasn't real, that was malarkey and silly and crazy and no one should care about it a couple years ago and now actually is real, uh, which, by the way, sounds oddly familiar to how the current administration is handling any sort of um, uh, reference, discussion about whether or not he did take a bribe uh, from Ukraine, uh, from Burisma, and through uh, Hunter Biden. That is malarkey. That's silly. That's ridiculous. How dare anybody even ask questions about that? It is the same way that they approached the previous story. Didn't end well last time for anyone that dismissed that out of hand. I don't know about it and how it's going to go down this time, but I do think it's interesting. But here, let's play the... The question and then the pause and then a hilariously terrible answer uh, provided by the president. Only hilariously terrible because it seems to show how mad he's getting that this is a narrative that people are talking about. If you can't tell with all the commotion going on there, because they're kicking the press out as these people lob the questions at the president, uh, he said, again, why did the FBI uh, Ukraine informant file refer to you as the big guy? And he goes, why do you ask such a stupid question? You dummy, uh, you idiot. Come on, man. Uh, should be in there, too. And then again, just as a reminder for anyone that is fully assuming that anything and everything about uh, Ukraine, about Burisma, about Hunter Biden and potentially a connection to our president, um, it feels 
as I said, eerily similar, although actually quite a bit different in the fact that it's not Rudy Giuliani uh, telling people about this and being dismissed because he's Rudy Giuliani and you can't trust that guy, apparently. Uh, but this time it's actually an informant that's credible uh, and information that's still not verified, information that we don't even know if the FBI acted on at all. They won't tell uh, Congress if that's something they did. And you have uh, our president out there saying that these are ridiculous. These are dumb questions. How dare you people say these things? Uh, there was one other thing uh, that was actually also thrown at Biden that I thought was interesting. And here's how he responded to it. Mr. President, can you tell us what you want Lincoln to achieve in China, sir? Yes, I've spoken with him and we'll talk about that later. That's not what this is about. And on the cyber attack today, sir, can you say anything about the cyber attack today for us? No. <laughs> okay, so the first part of that, by the way, was what would you uh, like Blinken to achieve in China, sir? What would you like him to achieve? What, what are the goals? And he goes, yes, I've spoken to him. And then he looks at her for a second. He goes, that's not about we're not we're not talking about this now. We're talking about this some other time. Uh, we didn't ask you if you talked to Blinken. Uh, we asked you whether or not you've actually had any sort of conversation about a way in which to deal with any sort of escalation uh, with China. And one of the bigger things being talked about right now uh, to just kind of quickly cover it uh, again. I've talked about it for a couple of days just uh, briefly on the show. Uh, China is in a uniquely valuable position financially uh, compared to the United States in the harm they could do to our country. Uh, would it harm their country and their economy as well? Yeah. But if China wanted to, say, invade Taiwan and wanted the United States to stay as far away from interfering as possible, uh, they could just unload all of the different debt that they own of ours. And if they unloaded all that all at the same time into the marketplace, it would devalue things fairly negatively uh, for the United States. Which It's a weird, you know, to, to be entirely honest, it's a weird predicament the United States has put itself in, in allowing this to be a scenario uh, where China can leverage some sort of, of beneficial financial harm uh, to our country. Uh, and whether or not we could wage that war back, certainly a, a conversation. I think we own a lot of Chinese debt as well. Uh, but then also whether or not other countries uh, would, you know, try to help um, um, prevent these sort of problems. And I did play audio a couple of days ago from Janet Yellen, uh, where she said that we have basically no plan. No, I'm kidding. She said she had a plan, but she couldn't talk about it. And that's all we needed to know. Don't worry. Everything will be fine. I want to play this audio. Uh, I teased it just before the news. And I know the way that I'm summarizing what Jen Psaki is saying here will be a hot take to a lot of people. A lot of people are like, whoa, that's that's, you know, um, um, piping hot. Uh, but I honestly think it's true that this is essentially what Saki is saying. So she was talking about Trump. She was talking about the um, fact that she sees more and more Republicans starting to attack Trump, uh, more people running for office uh, because of the judicial system uh, issues uh, that are going on right now with the former president. Uh, and of course, a lot of people on the right, a lot of conservatives, a lot of, I think, just regular humans can see that there is a political bias at play here. No matter how significant you think it is, I don't think there's any way to deny that there's some level of politics happening in just the former president being the only one in trouble for the classified documents mishandling when so many other people. Do you remember when that first came out, by the way, before I even play this audio, when Trump's um, home at Mar-a-Lago gets raided and it's all over the news? They're talking about nuclear codes and things that I don't think actually existed uh, there might be information about our nuclear capabilities, uh, but it's not actually like a, a, a football of codes or anything like that. Uh, but anyway, 
when that all broke, it was it was shocking. And there were lots and lots of people, I think even conservatives were like, wow, um, you know, this is this is uniquely different than you hear about for, say, former presidents. I, I think you'd be suspicious as to whether or not Trump would be alone in taking documents and whatnot. But it seemed unique. And then within a month or two, we had 7,000 more reports, it felt like, of other people with classified documents in their houses or at their offices, including our current president, who was the vice president or even a senator at the time when he took stuff that shouldn't have been out in the wild for years and years and years. And then it started to just devalue the whole thing. It's like, all right, well, fine. Apparently everybody does this. Uh, apparently this is not that big of a deal and we should all just move on. And now we're at a point where only one person is actually facing any sort of ramifications for the classified document mishandling. That is very interesting. And I don't know how anyone in their right mind can actually think that there's no way that there's politics at play as a component to it. I'm not saying 100 percent of what's going on right now is politics. It doesn't have to be that 100 or 0 percent thing. But how could you not see that this is a targeted attack to an extent uh, specific to Trump uh, because of the, the fear that, say, our current president or anyone has on the Democratic side of the aisle that Trump can win election again, uh, that he can become the next president. Every poll says that right now. Not only would he win the primary, he's likely currently to beat the current president and to uh, wind up back in office. Uh, how, do, how do you deny those things? I just don't get it. And I have some audio from The View in a second I'll play, too. Uh, but here's Jen Psaki saying that after the second arraignment uh, in Miami, uh, the fact that no one rioted and looted and there was no, uh, quote unquote, January 6th version of of chaos, uh, that obviously the political power of a Trump is waning. If this is a weird version of, see, you can't cause mayhem, even if you might not have tried to. And we're just going to claim that you tried to. That part doesn't matter. But look at this. Uh, this is a negative for you that you can't uh, cause, you know, a, a whole bunch of crazy stuff that's all over the news. Uh, it's almost as if she's she's sad that there wasn't a, a January 6th 2.0 uh, this past, uh, excuse me, uh, just in the past few days. What is interesting and a good sign, I would, I would say, is that even though he has called for his supporters, called for people to come protest, uh, even violently, uh, he, they, they did not show up outside of the Florida courthouse. We saw something similar in New York. That is an indication of, uh, of kind of some issues with his political power, what? as is the fact that what? there are some Republican candidates from Pence to Haley to some degree um, to Tim Scott who are kind of being critical for the first time of Trump uh, in a little bit more of an aggressive That's way. That's such a weird knock on his his political influence to be like, look, people didn't cause riots in the streets. It almost be like if your favorite sports franchise won a championship and nobody roughed up the city, which happens almost every time people win championships. I remember being in Chicago for like a Blackhawks a win or two, and that went nuts. Actually, I remember being in Wrigleyville, uh, uh, very close to Wrigley Field is the part of Chicago where that is. And it was after, I think, the second Stanley Cup for the Blackhawks. And we were in an apartment with friends, my wife and I, uh, watching the game. Actually, um, sort of side note, my wife wound up going to the restroom and the Blackhawks scored a goal. So then we all asked her if she could go to the restroom again. And they scored a goal again. And then she just kind of waited in the restroom. And it was the game where the, the Hawks scored like two goals in 20 seconds or something uh, and won. But pandemonium was going on in the streets um, in Chicago. Uh, people broke all kinds of stuff. I remember walking through Wrigleyville the next day and like uh, 
um, stores were broken into. Well, I didn't do that. My friends didn't do that. But it, it was nuts on the street. And it's almost like saying that if your team won a championship and you didn't burn down a city, well, then I guess nobody really cares about that team. That's what Saki is saying. Is she saying that she'd prefer a candidate on the Republican side of the aisle who can cause ridiculous amounts of, of craziness on the streets whenever they demand it? And I'm sure it's also a valuable question to ask if Trump did anything of that sort. Uh, but darn it, I'll skip that part. Uh, I'll get to that part some other time. It's just it's a very weird take to me to be like, look, his political power, not what it used to be, I guess, because nobody's getting arrested for rioting and looting. Uh, very strange. Uh, one other thing, I, I do want to play this, definitely a a, a lighter non-political uh, thing, but it entertained me a lot. And then we'll take a break and come back. Uh, Stephen A. Smith uh, is officially throwing his hat in the ring for a unique gig, a gig I don't think Stephen A. was at the top of anybody's list for. But actually, I don't know if he'd be a terrible guy to do this. Uh, here's a little bit of audio. Pat Sajak, major, major props to him. Y'all don't know him. He's the host of the famous show Wheel of Fortune that he's been doing for 40 years. He's announced that uh, this will be his last season. He's going to retire. Major props to him. He's made that show household. My mother loved Wheel of Fortune. Loved Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> she really, really did. I got to be honest. He's sort of talking about it like it's not still a popular television show. All right, continue, Stephen A. Uh, I want to throw my name in the hat. <laughs> Whoa. I ain't trying to give up my day job. I ain't trying to give up my podcast. But I got to tell you, if Wheel of Fortune called to ask me to host the show for, 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 for a couple of days, I wouldn't mind. <laughs> I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind hosting that show while folks try to figure out what those letters mean. <laughs> what? And what it equates into. <laughs> that's your that's your way of then describing. Hold on. Hold on. That's your way of describing how the puzzles on Wheel of Fortune work. What those letters mean. What that equates into. I love that. I, I love that version of things. I would love to see uh, Stephen A uh, host the show for a couple days. He did say he also wanted to replace Vanna White. He said he loved her. He said uh, she seems to think that she's going with uh, Say Jack. So he had some ideas for uh, younger, uh, attractive uh, women, at least according to Stephen A, that he'd like to replace Vanna White. That's wrong. Uh, ask Vanna to stay. You know, it doesn't sound like she totally wants to go. Whoever gets the gig next, keep Vanna White. That's going to be my idea. Uh, but anyway, I just love it. I love that Stephen A was so passionate about his desire to be the next host of Wheel of Fortune. Quick break, a lot more. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. 1470, 100.3 WMBD, Craig Collins Show. Thrilled to have you with us. Lots of stuff out there to discuss. After the news, I'll play some audio from The View uh, that I find to be interesting. No, I don't watch The View. Uh, yes, I do. Pay attention to some of the viral things that wind up all over social media uh, that happen on The View. I've been told by some uh, friends of the show, Mark Strauss among them, why even play that audio at all? Uh, well, sometimes it's too interesting to pass up, um, so I can't help it. But that will come up in a little bit. Whoopi Goldberg's got a, a hot, hot take out there in the world. And then actually also MSNBC uh, said some things that I, I quite enjoyed. Uh, Morning Joe, although without uh, Joe Scarborough, Mika um, was throwing some things around. Uh, and I find that interesting, too. That all coming up in about eight minutes or so. But let's do this. Uh, a mom went viral on social media. Uh, the mom's a lawyer. She was trying to tell young people, I guess including her own children, how you should best handle any sort of bad thing you might have done. And it sounds like, since it's legal advice, maybe criminal thing you might have done. Here's part of her tip uh, to kids who get in trouble 
I don't even know if I should play this entirely because it's, it's a little odd that she feels the need to put this out there, but here we go. First, if you do something dumb and get thrown in jail, don't you dare call me and say, Mom, I did something terrible. Those phone calls are recorded. So many people know to keep their mouth shut to the police. But those same people confess everything on the phone to their mom, really particularly to their mothers. Nope, just tell me where you are and mom will come. Second, do not keep trauma to yourself. After something bad happens to you, seek physical and emotional care immediately. Foremost for your health, but also because if you choose to pursue any legal remedy later, it's that immediacy of your care that helps with causation and is used as evidence. This will help you recover physically, emotionally, and financially in a lawsuit. Third, all kids make bad decisions. That's to be expected. But remember uh, this what? dumb saying, because it's true. The cover-up can be worse than the crime. So- yeah, I gotta be honest. Uh, a lot of kids do make bad decisions. Uh, not all of them wind up in the hooskow and then calling mom and confessing to all the things you did wrong. I will in the hooskow. I will in jail. Uh, so I feel like she's got uniquely tough kids uh, that she's raising right now. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, it's weird advice. It's odd advice. I'm sure the second of the, the three is the least harmful, uh, that if something bad happens to you, that seeking care right away is good for you uh, for legal reasons as well as just, uh, you know, regular health-related reasons. But the first one, like, don't confess your crime to me on the phone while at jail, or even the third one, too, about how um, covering something up is only going to make things worse. Like, that's actually uh, not terrible uh, completely, it's begging you not to commit a second crime. But I don't know. I just can't get a handle on uh, why exactly she thought this information was so valuable and targeting teens specifically. Um, but, yeah, that's viral. That's out there in the world. And that mom is someone who would help you do a lot of things uh, that you probably should not be doing. All right, quick break. Will's got the news. 1470, 100.3. WMBD, it's the Craig Collins Show. Uh, There's an interesting stat out there. Pew Research Center put this out about the amount of people, I think specifically uh, the thing that's catching, um, you know, headlines, the thing that's being most reported on, the amount of white people who say they support Black Lives Matter. And I want to be really specific about something uh, because I I said it a while ago on the radio, not even, I don't think, necessarily here. uh, But the, the concept that Black Lives Matter, the thought, the idea itself is not something I'm upset by. Uh, I'm not upset by uh, Blue Lives Matter. I'm not upset by All Lives Matter. The idea that lives matter isn't in and of itself a thing that I would argue with, even if someone is being specific about which lives they they think matter and why. Uh, That's not something that that, uh, annoys or or upsets me at all. But the organization that created the Black Lives Matter movement has been caught in a lot of really bad things as far as misuse of money. Uh, People donated a lot of money to the organization itself, uh, and that organization spent money on things like uh, mansions that they, uh, the people who organized the Black Lives Matter group, were living in. And then I think one of the excuses for one of the egregious ways they spent uh, donation money was like, wow, we're going to turn it into like a house for for the community, Uh, not just for us. We're just the ones in it now. It caused one of the people who co-founded the organization to actually resign amid a lot of public outcry back in 2021. But so this stat seems to be much more about the organization uh, than the concept itself, or maybe the lines are getting blurred a little bit. Uh, But the thing I found most interesting in the Pew research is that only 8% of people, uh, and that's not specific to race, that's in general of the 5,000 U.S. adults asked, believe that the organization Black Lives Matter did anything 
to improve the lives of anyone or improve the lives of black people, while 57 percent say that they can see how the organization did well, exactly the opposite, uh, took money and then used that money incorrectly. Uh, but even more so than anything, uh, one of the, the big stats, and as I said, uh, that's coming from this, is the low amount of, of Americans who actually support the organization right now and the amount of people um, in the United States, including white people that are specifically part of this Pew Research study, uh, that say uh, they support the, the organization. It's at a three-year low. And here's a thing that I'll say just in general, and it's not quite as specific to Black Lives Matter as it is to any uh, movement, any, any ask of society, any topic that we talk about, any group that feels marginalized and wants attention uh, in a positive way, maybe more so than a negative way, uh, but attention uh, to have people unite and support their cause. And the th reason I bring this up is I, I, I dove deep into a study. I, it must have been like two years ago. Uh, when Black Lives Matter was a much bigger conversation uh, about the civil rights movement itself, the first one, the one with Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, leading the charge. And one thing I found is when people are encouraged to participate, take part, uh, agree with uh, the individuals that are, are standing up against whatever it is they're standing up against, the movement has far more success in our society. When a movement divides people, when a movement says that there are, are individuals that are you know, bad, essentially, or there are people that aren't welcome as a part of our, our, our group uh, or as people who would support our group, uh, then the movement does not do well at all in changing anything in our society. And I think that's the biggest linchpin to a lot of the conversations we're having right now, uh, which are not about Black Lives Matter specifically, but about some other things is that if you ask most people, and I, this is all I'm going to say about this, then I'll move on, because it's a conversation I don't know what else I can add to at this point. But if you ask most people about LGBTQ or any of the things that become issues we talk about, uh, it doesn't matter what your political slant is. Uh, most people in today's society believe live your life however you want to live it. Uh, you have the independent ability to do whatever it is you want to do with your life, and no one's telling you how to live your life differently. Uh, the problem becomes when you tell other people how to think or when you tell other people that this is okay or that's okay for their kids and they feel very strongly about knowing better than you what is and isn't okay for their kids. It's just interesting to me that the idea that something actually impacts the world and creates change and, and causes whatever it is that someone thinks is broken – and I guess a lot of people would have to agree that it's broken uh, to actually not be broken anymore is an inclusive movement. I, I know that sounds like a millennial uh, word or woke word I'm saying, but a movement that doesn't tell some people or a lot of people uh, you're the problem. So you probably shouldn't be a part of the solution. Uh, that, in fact, is how movements, again, fail. So I just thought it was interesting uh, that after all of the discussions, all of the reactions, the protesting, the rioting, the looting, the everything that occurred over the last few years, uh, you have an all-time low for people that were asked the simple question, do you support Black Lives Matter? Uh, and not necessarily as a concept or, or just in general. And people said, not just um, white people, but all people said no. And the biggest reason why is the corruption that existed within the actual organization uh, that made that phrase popular. All right. Other things that I think are interesting out there in the world uh, I do uh, want to get to some audio in just a bit of Ron Johnson. Uh, Ron Johnson was doing an interview and said uh, that he's not even really sure that the Biden tapes exist. Uh, what I mean by that is the 17 uh, tapes that are claimed uh, via a, a um, document with the FBI 
uh, these 17 tapes, 15 of which would include Hunter Biden and two of which would include then Vice President Joe Biden uh, talking and making potentially some sort of deal uh, with a, a member of uh, the Burisma Group in Ukraine, the energy company, uh, that would be easily considered a bribe. Uh, now, this is something that the FBI uh, has more information than anyone else on. And this is the biggest reason I think that people are asking the question. We, we need to know if these tapes exist in the first place. Uh, but before I get to that, I do want to play uh, the view audio that I teased, because uh, I do think this view audio is interesting. So this is Whoopi Goldberg and members of the view uh, saying that there's something going on right now with this whole Trump uh, indictment and second, uh, you know, judicial case, whatever second uh, court case going on, going after him. And we need to get this changed ASAP. And it's a shock that no one's discussing this. And this is, um, well, it, it's easily uh, something that might just be a demonstration of, of how dumb certain takes are on The View. Otherwise, it's terrifying. And I'll tell you why in a second. But here we go. None of this makes any difference to me. <clears throat> what really is making me, was really starting to freak me out, is the idea that we're not even discussing changing the Constitution to make it say you cannot be in jail oh, yeah. and oh, be well, the that, president. Well, that part. I mean, I, I, because my fear... Uh, okay, here's why that's a terrible, terrible take and either just um, a dumb take or a, a genuinely scary take. Uh, the idea that if most Americans, um, and by most, I mean the people who would vote in the 2024 election, wound up supporting Trump and wound up fairly electing him into the role of being the president of the United States, trying to create a law in the next year and a half, like right now, uh, that would prevent that from happening if he somehow got imprisoned for one of these um, legal challenges going after him would be an even further demonstration of uh, not allowing our election process to be the uh, fair version it's supposed to be. It would be uh, election tampering uh, to the umpteenth degree. Because whether you like it or not, whether you think it makes sense or not, and definitely the people on The View don't, if most Americans, and again, that means he won the election, voted Trump into office, even if he was actually currently behind bars, which I doubt would happen uh, by that time anyway. So it's sort of a mute point. Uh, that is the sentiment of the United States. That, that's what uh, the United States of America, let me finish my point. That's what amuses me the most sometimes, if I'm just ranting again uh, about uh, Trump or DeSantis or even Biden, whoever it is that we're talking about in the world of politics. And the idea that so many people uh, voted for the other team, whatever team you're on, uh, a lot of people voted, although actually I think in the last election, a lot of the people who voted for Biden might have just voted anti-Trump. Uh, but that, it's the most um, amusing thing to me is that there seems to be a denial uh, that there are a lot of supporters of the other, and I'm not trying to get into the um, election fraud stuff. I'm not trying to shoot down the theory or, or prop up the theory at all. I'm just saying that no matter what you think, uh, just take the midterm elections, for example. People voted for Democrats that they thought were going to vote for Republicans and vice versa. Republicans did win races. They weren't expected to win. Uh, Democrats did, too. So dismissing people who support the other side as if they don't exist is the biggest mistake anybody makes and the mistake the view is making in saying this because they want to prevent someone from being capable of being elected to uh, the highest office in our, our country um, just because they don't like that person. They don't want that person. And is a is it a truly hot take to say if somebody was in jail 
Uh, they shouldn't be capable of being elected president. No, it's not a, a truly hot take. But if the United States were going to elect somebody uh, while they were behind bars, that would be the right of the country as a whole to make that decision. Why is there such a need to prevent the majority of people uh, or at least the majority of people who show up and vote, because a lot of people don't use that right at all. Uh, they just don't cast a ballot, uh, even even if they, you know, have every opportunity to do it. They just don't go. But for anyone that does, why would we need to control who it like anybody could get a lot? I think that that's the right society, that anyone who ran for office and, and got the majority of the votes, or at least I know in our system, the way it works, uh, people are probably objecting to that. And how many times have said that? So I do understand that the popular vote doesn't actually win our presidential election. Um, but our system is what it is. Uh, so love it or hate it, uh, this is what we've got. If the individual who wins our, our, our election system, uh, you know, is anybody um, with anything going on in their life, that's the right of the American people uh, to choose the person we want to put in that office. And if a lot of people don't vote for that person, that would be, well, a normal uh, election. So it's just amusing to me. It's It's so amazing to me, actually. Uh, that most political takes seem to deny the existence of people who support the other side. Um, that's that's a, um, a blanket term or that's a strong statement, but it's true. The next time you sit down with a buddy and you're talking about, so especially a buddy you disagree with in politics, at some point they're going to say something that you can easily refute by saying, yeah, but people voted for him. Yeah, but he, he won the, the election in this year at that time or whatever it is. Yes, this, this happened uh, because that's usually the thing that's most disregarded. Uh, that, yeah, in fact, our, our country is divided and we support a lot of people um, on all sides of the political aisle, uh, even though most Americans also say the political system is not helping them. Eight out of 10 Republicans, seven out of 10 Democrats say politicians are not doing anything to better their lives. And we just keep voting people into office that are not bettering our lives. Uh, I'll take a break. I, that was a long rant. I'll play the Ron Johnson audio in a second. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. 1470. 100.3 WMBD, it's the Craig Collins Show. Uh, this audio is being talked about a lot uh, by both Republicans and Democrats, by both conservatives and liberals. Uh, this would be uh, Ron Johnson uh, doing an interview, uh, being asked a very specific question. And the question is actually phrased, if these 17 audio tapes exist, uh, the ones that are claimed uh, to exist by someone uh, that actually is uh, on an FBI document, uh, the 17 audio tapes would be 15 with Hunter Biden, um, and then two with then the vice president, Joe Biden, talking about a business deal uh, with Burisma in Ukraine. That definitely uh, seems to prove, according to the, the whistleblower, corruption and uh, a bribes being taken. Uh, here's how Johnson responded to the question. Uh, if these exist, do you know if they exist kind of thing? What are we to do to find out? What are we to do to locate them? We don't know. And, uh, you know, Senator Grassley has never said they exist. He just said that there's an FBI uh, report on a confidential... By the way, that wasn't my phone. That was on this audio for some reason. ...human source, and that confidential human source says that uh, the person he was talking to said that he taped. Uh, he recorded uh, 17 times, 15 times with Hunter, twice with uh, Joe Biden, but we don't know. But what Senator Grassley... And I are asking questions is what did the FBI do with that evidence? Yeah. What did they do with the accusation that there is a smoking gun version of evidence? And can they locate that evidence if it does, in fact, exist? I think that's a valuable, valuable question to be asked. And just the idea that they could be out there is sort of uh, jarring. 
uh, because it sounds like so far uh, the politicians who are asking these questions and demanding more information from the FBI after finding out about a document's existence because of a whistleblower in the first place are basically being rebuffed at every single stage or shown limited information with the FBI present and not actually being given all of the documentation on this that would be tremendously valid. Just I, I hate the whataboutism at time, but you do it a lot in the world of what I do and what uh, people do when talking about um, politics. Uh, just think about right now if it were reversed and it's uh, Trump and there's an accusation of some sort of admission of guilt of something uh, via audio tape. Uh, there would be a push by every media outlet that's not uh, Fox News and a few others to try to locate this stuff and absolutely report on it as though it's tremendously likely that it does exist. All right. One other uh, sillier thing or two uh, before we uh, take a break. The first one, I thought this was interesting. A woman went viral online for putting up a photo of a uh, airport checkout, a, a kiosk that they went to, uh, not my wife, not this morning on her trip to Mexico, uh, but somebody, I think, at Newark Airport, New Jersey. And the kiosk asked for a tip at the end of the check-in process. So you're doing a, a electronic check-in at an airport, and then as soon as you're done, it's like, hey, you want to you wanna throw a little bit of, you know, gauche my way? <laughs> I love this. Uh, the woman actually was ordering uh, food as well, so I guess the kiosk uh, can do multiple things, which I was not familiar with. Uh, but the person lost her mind. She's like, how could they ask for this much additional money uh, at just a, a stupid kiosk inside of an airport uh, where costs are already through the roof anyway? How dare you? Uh, the tipping, you know, plague has gone way too far. And, yeah, everybody seems to be reacting to that post in social media by saying yes. Uh, the tipping plague is insane. Everybody everywhere asks for a tip, uh, not just the typical places. And you know what? Because of this, I'm going to stop tipping at some – not everywhere – at some of the places that I – I wind up saying yes to the tip because it just feels wrong to say no. I'm going to I'm going to be stronger about this, people. Uh, and I would actually never tip the airport kiosk. Uh, that is not a mistake I would make. Uh, and I love the fact that this woman got so mad. She put it all over social media and people reacted. Uh, one other thing. I think this is interesting. Uh, talking about mental health is good. Uh, talking about the way in which people struggle uh, with mental health. Also good. Uh, I think even in the world of the violence we see in our, our country, uh, that a mental health solution is a, a tremendously powerful, really the only, um, you know, way forward. And yet uh, there's this study from Gallup about the amount of people who are now using mental health speak in their day-to-day -day life because maybe more Americans than before are seeking professional help uh, through a therapist and how the mental health speak in your day-to-day -day life might not be as valuable as you think it is, uh, saying things like, I can't um, hold space for you. Uh, right now in my brain, or I can't be as authentic with you as I want to be. I need boundaries. Um, I, I think you might be a narcissist. I feel triggered. All of these things, according to this study, and a psychotherapist by the name of Amber Rules, a sweet last name, uh, by the way, for Amber, uh, might be harming more so than helping because of how little people are actually understanding some of those terms, some of those positions, uh, some of those ways of talking, and honestly, also the ways of, say, blaming everybody but you uh, for some of the problems that we face uh, today as a society or as as people. Uh, but the mental health speak or the, the psychotherapy speak is a thing that apparently is running so rampant uh, that not only did a Gallup poll identify it, but a psychologist, a psychotherapist said, yeah, uh, maybe speaking more like, you know, everyday people 
and not essentially like a therapist for your friend. I might actually help get messages across and through if you're having issues in your life uh, with, you know, people close to you, with family members or friends. I don't immediately turn into the corporate speak version of saying things, uh, but of the mental health variety. All right, quick break. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. I'm going to get to some political news in a second. I'm going to try to win over a little bit of like farmer cred. Uh, which is probably not a thing uh, right now uh, with a topic I saw out there in the news. And I, I need to talk about more topics like this from time to time, I think. Uh, but if I'm getting it wrong, uh, please help me out. 309-340-4464. 309-340-4464 is the number you can text or even leave a voicemail to reach out to me. Uh, but I saw this story about just how much of Illinois is dealing with a drought right now. Uh, the drought monitor uh, shows nearly 65% of Illinois is now considered to be in a D1 moderate drought category, uh, which is nearly 15 points uh, up from just a week ago. Uh, some of the causes of this, and this is affecting a lot of farmers, it's affecting uh, corn, soybeans, uh, all kinds of things that are a huge part of what we grow right here in Illinois. Uh, but a, a component to this might be the uh, smoke going on in, in Canada. Uh, is one of the things that's thought to be a problem. Also, there is a a uh, weather condition uh, right now uh, to the north of us uh, that is causing some of this um, this issue to remain. It's a blocking high pressure uh, system. It remains in place in the higher latitudes of North America, and the blocking feature will only strengthen in the coming days, uh, according to a few experts. So in uh, the Midwest right now, uh, we have seen a jump up in the um, seriousness of our, our drought and issue uh, that is impacting a lot of uh, farmers. 50% of the U.S. Uh, corn crop, 51% of soybeans, 64% of um, um, other uh, – 50%, I'm getting that number wrong – of winter wheat and, and other uh, different crops are impacted by this. The National Drought Mitigation Center uh, shows that our current drought now covers – uh, those areas. Uh, I'm sure if anyone wants to be political about this, you start to mention things like global warming, uh, but the experts did not mention that even once. Not at all a product of the conversation, uh, just a unique weather pattern to the north of us uh, and a uh, unique um, bad mixture of things with the smoke going on in Canada. But so any farmers out there uh, that are struggling with that, um, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, you're such a vital and important part uh, to what we do, to what um, our country uh, does and, and exports to the rest of the world, uh, that there's got to be some way to help. I will say that if I'm, I'm jumping into politics a little bit, uh, it seems as though whenever I talk to farmers locally, uh, Trump did much more uh, than this administration has done to to help at times of need. And it sounds like uh, maybe at least uniquely in Illinois, uh, we might I don't know that uh, solutions to, to drought specifically are the kind of things that take government action. Uh, but we might be at a point where some of that should be considered and probably unfortunately won't be. All right. Other things out there that I find interesting from the world of politics. Uh, I, I love uh, this setup to a guest on MSNBC and how insane it is uh, for Morning Joe, specifically Mika, because uh, I don't know if uh, Joe Scarborough was even at work today. Can't tell. I didn't watch the show, just saw this audio go viral. Uh, but this is, as I said, um, the setup and even reading an excerpt uh, for a guest that they're about to put on the air. Um, I will react to it momentarily. But man, oh, man, is it something. Your latest piece, which is entitled Inside the GOP's Latest Desperate Attempt to Smear Joe Biden, you write in part, if you get your news on planet Earth, you agree with me that the biggest news story of last week was the federal indictment of Donald Trump. If, however, you get your news on planet Wing Nadia, 
you have been led to believe that while the Trump matter certainly was oh. the bigger deal by several orders of magnitude was the proof that emerged last week that Joe Biden took a five million dollar bribe from Ukraine and that Representative Jamie Raskin lied about it. Help me out here because on the day of the. Yeah, no, I'll help you out. Uh, you don't need your guests to help you out. This is this is all me now. The New Republic, by the way, is the um, the publication uh, that put that out. And the guest name is Michael. But that doesn't matter. Uh, here's what I, I love so much about this, uh, because what they're referring to, of course, is. Um, a whistleblower that came forward, the Oversight Committee, subpoenaing uh, the FBI, looking for information on whether or not a certain document existed at first. Uh, then when they found out, oh, the document does exist. And, oh, it says certain things. Can we see that stuff that it says? And then the FBI was like, no. And then eventually they're like, okay, fine, but only with us present and only part of what we're um, supposed to show you. They redacted parts of a unclassified document, which is odd, and Republicans have been upset about that. But here's the thing. So much media is so positive that there is absolutely nothing to there's no there there in this story. And yet we don't even the Republicans themselves admit we don't even have all the information we would want to have to know whether or not there is a potential smoking gun. 17 audio tapes, uh, two of which featuring the uh, current vice president at the time, now our president making business deals uh, with Ukraine and Burisma. How is it so easy, especially after the Hunter Biden laptop fiasco, to go this road on this? It's just it's amazing to me that this is the way that so much media is covering or just refusing to cover uh, a story that has a tremendous amount of value. And I'm not saying that you go at it by saying this is definitive proof for her little reference there, because Republicans aren't actually saying that, uh, by the way, that there's definitive proof that something bad happened. But how do you go the other road of calling this all malarkey uh, like the current president did, which is exactly what he also did when the um, the media gave him the opportunity to dismiss the Hunter Biden laptop? The reason we get into these situations, um, and I, I know at times that I differ from some in my belief that media could try harder and won't just unwillingly uh, ignore all or won't just, you know, never uh, change uh, their stripes at all because of a desire for other reasons to keep them the way they are. But I, I do just think there's so many people uh, that exist in the world of, say, local television uh, and news stations that just dismiss something because mainstream um, uh, legacy media does. And it's been a mistake and it's been a mistake recently. And no one seems to learn the lesson as to whether or not there'd be more interest in discovering the truth about a story that seems to have a lot of value. And here's what I'll, I'll say as the last part. Uh, the reason that it is a bigger deal, uh, because my opinion is that it is a larger deal than what's going on with um, ex-president, uh, former president Donald Trump, uh, is because Biden is in office right now. That's the reason why. It matters more if there's any, any sort of proof or any accusation uh, that the guy who's currently in charge of our country was taking bribes, a five million dollar bribe from another country at some point in his political career. That story should outpace any other story, even without saying that, you know, definitively it's true or, or false. Uh, it should be of more interest to our media because the guy's currently the president. I don't have to say that differently. I don't have to say that. I know media is obsessed with Trump. 
I know Trump derangement syndrome also makes a lot of media for sure that anything that Trump's accused of is something he actually did wrong, uh, which is not the way that our system's supposed to work. And for some reason, the exact opposite is how we treat any story about our current president. And yet it should it should just be uh, a focal point that it's not. Anyway, some other stuff uh, just moving on. I thought this was interesting. Uh, I do have this audio. I'm deciding whether or not I should play it. And I'm, I'm actually very certain that I can play this word, and yet I'm, I'm sort of still not wanting to do it. Uh, but Governor Ron DeSantis responded to a question, I think this was earlier today, about Gavin Newsom, the governor of California. Of course, DeSantis, officially a political um, um, you know, uh, candidate for the president of the United States and for the Republican nomination. Uh, Gavin Newsom, not someone who's currently trying to be our president, and yet speaking all the time as if he's someone who's trying to be the president of the United States. So um, Ron DeSantis today, in responding to just how broken California is, how it's the first time in a long time, and actually through the entirety of of Gavin's time in office, where people are, are leaving California and not um, migrating to uh, that state um, for a lot of the existence of California, according to Governor DeSantis. You've seen the exact opposite, but now people are running, they're fleeing, and they're fleeing to places like Florida. Uh, but there was a moment in this um, answer to a question with press where Governor DeSantis said, stop bleep footing around. Again, I, I know I can say the word. I'll probably play the audio soon. Uh, but stop messing around is another way to say it. And just get in this race if you want to. DeSantis is basically begging Newsom uh, to become a candidate for the Democratic side of the aisle for the president. And I think that's a very interesting strategy, uh, not because I think Newsom would do uh, well, uh, but he would certainly do better than a Biden right now. And how odd would it be if Republican pressure to run is what actually convinced Gavin Newsom? Uh, to, and of course, they're they're warring uh, both those governors because of migrants that are being sent from mostly Texas, uh, but on Florida's dime uh, to California. And Newsom is trying to figure out a way to go after um, a DeSantis in court for what's going on there. But I just think it's very interesting. And the reason I, I sort of like it is that DeSantis seems like someone who wants to fight the best possible um, candidate on the other side of the aisle. I'm not saying Trump wouldn't want that either. Uh, but what you're seeing right now from Democrats and from Biden and from the entirety of seeming uh, to be the political system is no interest whatsoever in fighting Trump, uh, someone who's doing well in the polls, uh, but wanting him to be prevented from running for uh, the president of the United States. So you got a guy in Florida saying, bring your best. You have most of the left saying, please don't send us anyone that we can't beat. And Biden can probably beat very, very few people, uh, according to any of the latest data. All right, I'll take a break. Uh, after the break, a sillier topic for sure uh, to discuss on the show. What food sizzle is the best food sizzle was the question the Internet asked. I have the answer coming up next. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Thrilled to have you with us. Lots and lots of things to talk about. Uh, I teased it a bit ago. Uh, what is the best food sound or best sizzle, uh, which is sort of a, a hint, I guess, uh, in the opinion of the Internet? I'll get to that in a second. Uh, first, I want to talk about this, though. Uh, an interesting study was done uh, that revealed a, a very unsurprising thing, a very obvious thing. Uh, but apparently a study was done to see which generation has, quote, the laziest workers, uh, Gen Z, millennials, Gen X, or boomers, and they found – and again, this is the part that's not really surprising, uh, that millennials and Gen Z are much lazier uh, than Gen X and boomers uh, as far as uh, employees right now uh, in the work world. 
Uh, blending work habits and a lower than unusual unemployment rate have contributed to younger employees adopting a more laid back approach to their job. According to this survey, uh, the survey was actually done in Australia. An independent panel of 1,002 Australians was asked to evaluate their post pandemic work habits. So they were just honest about it. And millennials and Gen Z were both like, yeah, no, I'm not working that hard. I'm not trying. I'm quiet, quitting. I'm doing whatever it is. You know, what's interesting about this is sure. I, I assume that younger people are more likely in entry-level jobs. And entry-level jobs right now are still certainly here in the United States, uh, things you can find uh, a lot of places if you want to move around a bit. And honestly, a lot of, I think, um, early on in their career, employees right now wind up moving around to get um, maybe better compensation for the same job at some other company. But what I find so interesting about this is, is very gone. And I was talking about this a little bit yesterday are the days where you see yourself working your way up through a company. Uh, you see yourself starting at the ground level, uh, putting the best foot forward, doing the uh, you know grunt work if that's what you got to do, and working as hard as you can to sort of stand out in the crowd and then start to work your way up, uh, which is why I think that that sort of work ethic would be tremendously valuable in any, say, younger or newer um, employee to a field or, or just in general to a career, uh, trying to uh, show that they are committed to the job. Because most um, business owners of small businesses that I talk to, uh, they say how ridiculously hard it is right now to hire people that are actually going to put in the kind of effort at a job uh, that they put in, say, when they started their own career and now have a successful small business that they own. And yeah, this doesn't seem to remotely be uh, a shock, uh, one-third of respondents between the ages of 18 and 30 admitted that they adopt this relaxed attitude because they see themselves as capable of finding another job very, very quickly if needed uh, because of the unemployment uh, rate dip right now. So apparently a net negative of the world in which um, we have a lot of people employed is that we have a lot of people who are not really trying very hard at the job that they have, uh, which is a unique challenge uh, to try to overcome. But again, I think mostly it's because uh, for whatever reason, uh, invented by that generation, my generation, I'm a millennial, uh, invented by our generation or not, uh, people just don't see themselves, say, being tied to a company for a, a, a majority of your career, for 40, 50 years uh, working for the same place. Uh, one other thing that I thought was interesting out there before I get to the, the food story, uh, this is just a simple question, and I, I like it quite a bit. Uh, which of these two would scare you more? Uh, there are two stories on uh, social media right now uh, making the rounds uh, about people who came home or people who were already in their house and were, um, you know, wind, out, wind up in interactions with animals they don't expect. Uh, the first one is a vulture. Uh, someone went on vacation. They came home and they found a vulture had put up a nest and was living in their living room. A vulture uniquely um, um, intimidating, I think, for a variety of reasons. Uh, but the person actually had to call the authorities and remove the vulture, and the vulture might have tried to attack them just a bit. Uh, that's story one. That's option one for you. Option two is someone in uh, Australia. Uh, this is New York Post is the story uh, that wound up while they were on the toilet going number two, uh, seeing a snake, a giant six-foot python in the shower on top of the shower head across from them and said it scared the bleep out of them, which I guess is a good thing in the world of what they were doing. And they quickly uh, fled as soon as they could. You got to clean up and stuff first. Uh, but which of those would be worse, a vulture moving into your living room or a python living in your bathroom? I think location matters here. Uh, although pythons are not as dangerous as people think they are. There's no venom there. Uh, they'd have to get all the way around you to start to constrict 
Although if you're sitting on the, the toilet, taking a little bit of time, maybe they have the time. I would be scared of the vulture uh, for me. Vulture all day. Uh, Python, nah, is what I just got from one of the texts. Uh, 309-340-4464 is the phone number to text me. 309-340-4464. I agree with you. Uh, the vulture, I feel like, would move faster, too, because it's airborne. Uh, an airborne snake would be a different story, I think. Uh, but now I think I'd still go vulture. All right. What's the most sizzle, What's the most uh, gratifying sound? I just uh, tipped it. Uh, the, the most gratifying sizzle is the sizzle of bacon, uh, according to a new survey done online. I think NBC uh, did this one. Uh, number two on the list of gratifying food sounds was slicing a loaf of bread, a fresh loaf, uh, which is kind of cool, the, the crack of bread. A six-foot uh, python is just a baby from another texter, too. Yeah, I know. I know it's not even close to being scary enough. Uh, steak sizzling in a pan came in at number three, egregiously low uh, at number three. Uh, should be tied for number one with bacon. Both are delicious. And actually, if you put the two items together, you're doing great things uh, in the world. A butter being spread on toast was the number four most gratifying food sound. No, that's wrong. Uh, the snapping of a chocolate bar. And they're talking like a Hershey's bar or any kind of chocolate bar. Actually, I like the the white chocolate Hershey's bar. That actually is gratifying when you snap it in, in half or snap it in pieces to eat it. And then French fries frying is number five on the list. If you walk into any fast food restaurant uh, like a McDonald's, you usually can hear it frying in the background. And I agree. That is also an interesting uh, sound. I love someone that just said the whole list sucks. I'm sorry, man. These are the most gratifying sounds. But bacon and steak, uh, one and one B, as far as I'm concerned. The rest uh, definitely not as close. All right. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. I'm very happy that this is going to happen at least just once. My wife, Betty, is live from Mexico. Uh, Betty, how are you doing? Good, Craig. Thank you for having me once again. <laughs> Thank you for being on the radio with me. You asked some of your nieces and nephews to do the word of the day, uh, little uh, kids, and they said no. They're like, why would I be on that crazy gringo's radio station? Uh, so they're, they're... Well, they're they in the phone, so okay. they don't care when they're in the phone. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. They're doing other stuff. So we'll do a word of the day uh, in just a bit. I'm not going to take up too much of your time since it's the first day of your vacaciones. And I said that word right, didn't I? Sí, vacaciones. Vacaciones. You are correct. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I won't take up much of your time, but how is how is travel today? Uh, we started at the Peoria Airport, and that went super smooth, super easy, super great. It was great. super smooth. I love, I love the airport. Oh, my God. It's the easiest thing ever. Yes. I never have any issues at Peoria. At the airport. And I'm not promoting it, but this, you can. this is very nice. Yeah, you can promote it. Uh, we, we like the Peoria Airport. And actually, I stood there well, and waved to you like 25 times, uh, which just made me yes. look like a dummy. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Yeah, well... Kudos to Peoria Airport. <laughs> because the rest of your experience flying today, not great, uh, right? You had some complaints? Uh, yes. Well, uh, when I arrived here to my city, yes, the, the plane, um, it landed at 11.30 a.m., and then we got to wait for uh, the person who uh, who take our, document, our documents for about almost an hour and 50 minutes. Wow. An hour uh, and 50 Yes, an hour and 15 minutes. Wow. Okay. Almost two hours. You're talking about yeah. going through customs in San Luis Potosi, Mexico. And yes, you told me yes. via text there was only one person working. Uh, and you had Just a... one person working. <laughs> That's yeah. not good. Super that... grumpy. Super bad. upset. Yeah. yeah. I could see his face. I was like, I'm going to quit today. <laughs> I'm going to quit this job at lunch. <laughs> but yeah, so you stood at the airport waiting in line for like almost two hours. Uh, you're now with your, your brother and part of the family, and you're going to the farm. Uh, in a little while, I assume, because that's what you guys do every day. Uh, you were also saying yeah. that it was way too cold 
uh, air conditioning wise on your planes, right? Well, it's something weird happened in the first plane. Uh, I never seen that, but there were little pieces of ice. It was super cold inside, so, so the, I couldn't see like pieces of ice at, at one time. <laughs> they now wow. like one of the like lines of the air, airplane. Everybody was looking at like what is happening with this plane. Sure. It was super cold. I even have a blanket. A blanket. I usually uh, carry like a travel blanket with me, but not this time, and I regret it so much. I'm sorry. Well, and, uh, we'll remember a blanket next time. Uh, but now you're in Mexico, and what is the temperature there? It's 96. <laughs> and is your brother it's even... I'm so happy. Is your brother using air conditioning? He doesn't even have air conditioning at his house, right? No, no we okay, don't. Yeah, we none. don't have... None yeah, at all. He doesn't have it. Things are great no, for no, Betty no, now. Uh, are you still yeah. wearing the coat you were wearing this morning when you got to no, the... Okay. No, no, no. Yeah, it's in the corner in the truck already. It's done. Uh, very, uh, it's 90. It's done. Yeah. Uh, by the way, it's 90 here in Peoria. 96. Yeah, but it's 96 there, so still uh, warmer there. Yeah. All right. Um, well, you probably don't want me to take up a lot of your time, Betty. Um, so let me just ask you, what is the word of the day today? And I won't do this to you all vacaciones. Uh, it's just today. I'll leave you alone the rest of your trip, at least on the radio. I'm going to be calling you and talking to you a bunch off. Uh, but what's your word of the day? That's Torillo. What? Torillo. <laughs> okay. Torillo? Torillo. Um, I said. Uh-oh. I, I don't think I'm getting this one. Go ahead. Tell me again. Say it, Craig. You can do it. Torillo. Torillo. Yes. Yeah, kind of, without the rolled R. What does that word mean? That is, uh, uh, it means uh, skunk in English. <laughs> Why'd you go with the word skunk? <laughs> what? Is there a skunk nearby? Does your brother smell bad? Is What's it, going on? No, it's a... We have a lot of torrillos in the area where I'm from, mm -hmm. so um, sometimes they get hit by cars in the road, yeah. and for some reason, I was smelling torrillo all over, <laughs> and then I was like, wait a minute, maybe there, there is one around, like somebody just hit it or yeah. whatever, I don't know, it just came to my brain, because uh, I didn't planet as usual. Sure. No, you just, you just day, No, that's but... fine. This is great. So you you landed in Mexico, you were very happy cuz it's warm there and nice there and you're going to spend a whole week with your family and then all of a sudden a torillo ruined it all. Yeah, as a real, a friendly friend. Maybe he was around just saying hi. Yeah, gotcha. There you go. Yeah, area, right. But, yeah, saying yeah. saying hi yeah. and no one wants to say hi back. Well, thank you uh, for jumping yeah. on and being a part of the show. Uh, what are your plans all week? What are you going to do? Uh, you're going to farm all week, right? Farm usually, yeah. Usually, mm -hmm. uh, people at the farm get paid on Saturdays, so okay. we gotta go there and spend time with them. And uh, yeah, the same stuff when I am around in Mexico. Are you gonna be the one slinging the money? Are you gonna be handing the money to people? <laughs> no, I'm not in charge. I used okay. to, but not anymore. Not anymore. I remember. Yeah, at one point you were the administrator of the finances for the the entire farm. All right. Well, enjoy. Yeah. Have a real vacation, Betty. Don't do a bunch of work. Uh, do a relaxing stuff. Uh, demand people give you lemonades and iced teas and sit in a lounge chair of some kind. Uh, have, a, have a real good time all week with your family, Betty. Enjoying the smell of cerillos. Around <laughs> Enjoying the smell of cerillos. <laughs> all right. I'll talk to you later. Uh, I love you, which I'm okay saying on the radio. Uh, you laughed about that yesterday when we took a break that I told you I loved you on the air. But I do, Betty, uh, and I'm, I'm glad you made it there safe. Thank you, Craig, sure. and uh, hi, everyone out there, all your listeners. Thank you for listening, Craig. Keep listening. He's very cool. <laughs> He's awesome. And uh, 
Uh-huh. And you can, you I'm can gonna say, make it back. Yeah, and you can say it to me too, Betty. You can. I'll wait. I'll hang out and wait for <laughs> that's it. Right, that's all right. You can say it in uh, Spanish. You don't have to say it in English. Te amo. You can throw it out there. Still waiting. Yes, yes. Well, what? Exactly. You what? say it. Wait, what is it? What is it, Betty? <laughs> uh, I think you have to go to commercials, correct? <laughs> You feel awkward saying it on the air. Okay. All right. I'll take a break. Uh, thank you, Betty, for my wife, for calling into the show live from Mexico. Uh, 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. A Spanish word of the day is Torrio. Uh, quick break. A lot more in a bit. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Uh, quickly, a few uh, newsier things uh, before uh, we do uh, hopefully a silly thing and then take a break and we come back with top five at five in like 15, 18 minutes or so. Uh, first, the uh, decision on student loan debt forgiveness is expected from the Supreme Court this week. Uh, apparently, both Democrats and Republicans are planning a response to whatever it is the Supreme Court decides to do in the world of uh, President Biden's Supreme, President Biden's, excuse me, executive action to remove ten thousand to twenty thousand dollars from each uh, student loan borrower that has federal debt directly with the government, uh, not any sort of private debt, uh, but lots and lots of money uh, would be on the line if uh, they decide the Supreme Court that essentially one of two things. Either uh, those that came forward to challenge uh, the decision by Biden had no standing, uh, meaning they weren't damaged uh, by this decision, uh, or um, more importantly, that the president himself doesn't have the ability to do the things that he's claiming he's trying to do. I think those were the most interesting questions asked the Supreme Court, but that decision is coming uh, soon uh, in the next few days. Uh, they say, and as I said, it seems that uh, politicians are already planning a, a quote-unquote uh, version of a response to it uh, that probably would stall at fo- some form, some part of the branches of government if it was um, something that people went after, uh, because even trying to pass something uh, preemptive of this um, failed, even though it made it through the House and the Senate, uh, because the president vetoed it as far as uh, bills so far. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Certainly a lot of people will be paying attention to that. Uh, the U.S. government also was hacked. Uh, different agencies uh, were hacked after a vulnerability was discovered within a software called Move It, uh, something that apparently a lot of our, our government agencies use. It's a file transfer uh, software. Um, this is, uh, so far, all the information we have. We don't know exactly who hacked us, why they hacked us, how successful they were in hacking us, how many people hacked us. Uh, the nation's cyber watchdog agency said today, though, that there was a significant impact uh, to what went on. And I'll have more information about that story uh, just after the news in the top five at five. Uh, one other thing, I wanted to play this audio because uh, I found it very interesting. Uh, this is Al Sharpton on MSNBC on Morning Joe uh, talking about Daniel Penny, uh, the 24-year-old uh, Marine who was indicted for um, the death of Jordan Neely on the subway in New York. Jordan Neely, a homeless person uh, that Daniel Penny put in a chokehold. And then uh, the um, the medical um, examination so far, the coroner uh, said that that chokehold is what killed uh, Jordan Neely. There's still a question about that, at least coming from uh, Daniel Penny's um, lawyers. But here's what I think is very interesting about what uh, Sharpton said. So I'll play it first. Uh, but there is an aspect of what he's saying that's, already been proven with limited information actually being released to the public so far to not be true. Here we go. Uh, uh, By the family's own admission, 
uh, he uh, nearly had mental health issues that we need to deal with people in the streets that because nearly was having a meltdown on the train. He was mm -hmm. not threatening anyone. Just he was saying he was ready to die. He was ready to go to jail. So we've got to deal with the mental health. So he said he was not threatening anyone. He was just saying he was ready to die. He was ready to go to jail. Uh, now, Daniel Penny, in video uh, that he put up uh, via his um, lawyers telling him to do so, uh, said that he was, in fact, uh, Jordan Neely threatening to kill people, as well as saying the other two things that um, that um, Al Sharpton just said. And that is not definitive proof that Sharpton's telling the truth or that um, Daniel Penny is telling the truth. Uh, that's not what I mean by proven that that is not true. 911 calls that have already been reported on that came in about five or six of them within the four minute time period uh, where it's believed that Daniel Penny was uh, holding Jordan Neely in a chokehold and two other people on the train were actually also holding uh, Jordan Neely down. But four calls came in and three of those calls uh, referenced threats that were being made. Uh, one actual call, and they're not sure who the caller was referring to, but I'm sure uh, these people might be called as witnesses uh, in this court case, was saying that they believed that someone on the train had a gun. Um, but multiple phone calls made to 911, as reported by several different uh, news organizations, uh, just a short time after this story first became uh, public or first became something of interest uh, to a lot of people in this country and thus covered a lot by the news. So this is well over a month ago, a month and a half ago. Uh, there were reports that threats were being made and that people were afraid for their lives. Uh, that's via the 911 calls themselves. And so to recklessly continue to say the thing that politicians said right at the forefront of this, that Jordan Neely was not threatening anyone, is to create a narrative that disregards what seems to be facts in this case so far. And it, it seems to be of the design to say that Jordan Neely was an innocent man asking for food and water who got strangled and killed on a subway train. Now, am I saying that I'm positive that didn't happen? I want to be as as careful as I can be in the world of of law and what we do and don't know as far as the court case goes. No, I guess something could come out in court. Uh, the people who made the 911 phone calls, et cetera, could all uh, change their opinion. I don't know what would happen uh, to make it the narrative that people are selling in some places in, in media and some places in very partisan, very left-leaning media. Uh, but anyone that's upset that um, – Daniel Penny raised over $2 million via a GoFundMe to defend himself in court or anyone upset that there is a, a challenged narrative here um, uh, on this story, I think seems to just want to believe something without needing any facts to back it up. Uh, the truth is we don't actually know uh, what occurred entirely leading up to and via the video that actually did uh, wind up uh, getting uh, captured of the four minutes or so on the train uh, where uh, Jordan Neely is in a chokehold uh, and Daniel Penny is behind him executing the chokehold. Uh, we, we don't know what occurred to, to get us into that situation. We know what Daniel Penny is saying occurred. Uh, we can't hear from Jordan Neely, and that's tragic. Uh, Jordan Neely didn't deserve to die on that train. But why all that occurred is still very much um, up in question. Actually, I guess even the simple statement that didn't deserve to die is something that might wind up being challenged in court if you were uh, making threats and people believed uh, that you were going to take deadly force on someone else. I'm sure that there's a, a legal uh, aspect of that that might wind up also being challenged. Uh, but I simply say that because uh, without any, any weapon um, and after being restrained, uh, I don't think and I, I, I believe that I saw this in the video and Daniel Penny has said it himself that even Daniel Penny had any interest in, in killing 
uh, Jordan Neely. He didn't do it, quote, on purpose or, or even think that he had done it uh, when it occurred. And, and as I talked about the other day and talked about when that video first went viral, I believe when I watch the video that I see uh, a demonstration of that in the way that Jordan, uh, or excuse me, the way that Daniel Penny is reacting in trying to wake Jordan Neely up uh, once he lets him go. Uh, so I, I, I believe uh, that statement, and I think that statement is is true, that even Daniel Penny did not intend, and that's why it's actually a manslaughter charge to, to explain the, the likely, uh, and it's been leaked, I don't think it's actually uh, been unsealed yet, the indictment, and not a murder charge. Uh, a second-degree manslaughter charge means you didn't intend uh, to kill someone, but your actions took a life. And whether or not, again, that's justified is something that we'll certainly still uh, find and discuss in court. But I just think it's so dangerous to have Sharpton or anyone else purposefully changing aspects of this story and even having a reaction uh, that goes way before when we actually know things in court. I don't know when that stopped being a part of the process uh, for Trump or for anybody, uh, but we should wait for the court cases to fully play out and all the information that's available uh, to be exposed in a courtroom before deciding what truly happened. So I'm saying I'm willing to accept that any uh, version of events might inevitably inevitably seem to be the most um, you know, accurate version of events once I hear and see what happens in that courtroom uh, like everyone else. But I just had to react to that because there are multiple 911 calls as reported by several organizations uh, that say that, in fact, threats were um, um, mentioned, were discussed as a reason why people were calling 911 and afraid of a person on a train uh, in New York uh, that ended up being the Jordan Neely, uh, Daniel Penny story. Uh, quick break. In just a bit, we're going to be doing the top five at five. Uh, the top five will include more information about the hack uh, that occurred, although I don't think we have uh, too much more. But I have a couple things uh, still to share on the government uh, getting hacked. And then also um, a judge that has ordered Trump lawyers uh, to do certain things, uh, which I'm sure will be a yet another interesting hurdle uh, provided to the uh, Trump team. But that coming up in a bit. 1470. 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. The top five stories at five o'clock in no particular order, although uh, the first story is a local one. Uh, just a, a awful uh, story and a story where people, uh, the police in Pekin, are looking for uh, the person or persons responsible for this. Uh, a reckless homicide occurred early in the morning uh, today. Um, Chief John Dossey um, is saying that they are looking for a car uh, with a license plate CH13681. Uh, this car hit two people on the road. Uh, both people died. A female that was pronounced dead at the scene. Uh, this happened at about 145 uh, this morning uh, at Caroline and 2nd Street in Pekin. And then a man that was taken to the hospital and was late, later pronounced uh, dead as well. Uh, the car is a Chrysler 200. Um, a 2015 Chrysler 200. It is black. Uh, there are photos of the car up on our website, WMBDradio.com. And again, the license plate number to be on the lookout for if you're uh, driving and listening to the show, CH13681. Uh, this is just an awful story, uh, a hit and run story and a reckless homicide story. Um, and I guess that that car is um, the one that is believed to have committed um, this, this crime. Um, so obviously, um, I think we don't have the names of the two victims yet, but but horrible and awful news. And I, I know it never 
seems to matter to some, but it's it's the gut uh, reaction I have, uh, thoughts and prayers to, to those. Uh, but since this is an ongoing thing and since there's a car and a license plate, I figured I would do it as because I know there's other um, sad stories and, and bad stories and and, uh, you know, uh, violent stories that exist in our community. And I, I let our news cover a majority of them. But since this one seems as though they need the community's help, I, I thought it would definitely be uh, an important top five at five story. Uh, other stories out there that seem to be uh, big today, uh, according to me, uh, first, that the U.S. government says that several agencies were hacked as part of a broader cyber attack on our country. Uh, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, the country's top civilian cybersecurity watchdog, uh, said that it is still investigating, quote, the scope of the hacks. Uh, its executive director said um, CISA is providing support to several federal agencies that have experienced intrusions. We're working urgently to understand impacts and ensure timely uh, solutions to the problems. Uh, the hackers exploited a vulnerability in a program called MoveIt, a popular tool for transferring files quickly. Uh, the chief technology officer of one of those cybersecurity companies, which is owned by Google, actually, uh, also said that they were aware of some data theft from federal agencies through the MoveIt hack. So what that information is, if that information will wind up being leaked uh, publicly and just how significant of a hack this is, now this seems bad. Um, and who actually is responsible for it? Uh, of course, uh, very little information being provided uh, by the government right now. Uh, other top five stories at five o'clock. I think this is interesting. Uh, the U.S. District Court judge who is right now in charge of the case uh, where um, our former president, where uh, President Trump is accused of mishandling classified documents, has been all over the news. Uh, the judge herself, Eileen Cannon, people saying she's got a thin resume. She's been too friendly, too, too kind to Trump via a civil suit. Um, it's the first time I've really seen this level of objection to a, a you know, judge uh, coming from the left, not necessarily from the right on this, because this judge might potentially be fair or, or somewhat fair uh, to Trump. It's interesting. Uh, the most interesting component, though, and the, the bigger news today is that that judge has ordered Trump's lawyers to seek security clearances to actually be able to look through the highly classified documents uh, that Trump uh, kept at Mar-a-Lago. And then he was um, you know, accused of mishandling and accused of, of not being willing to return, uh, including the accusation that there is a recording of him telling, um, I think, three different people in his offices at Mar-a-Lago that the document he was holding in his hand, one of the documents that was recovered was not uh, declassified, and he could have declassified it as president, but he didn't, and now he can't. I do find something else that's interesting about that story that sort of swept under the rug because we don't know what the document is is one of those people in the room was supposed to be a reporter, and the way that Trump was speaking to him, what's actually written in the indictment, is that this proves, um, you know, that he, Trump's not uh, guilty of something, or Trump is is innocent of some accusation made about a a movement that occurred, I think, on a, uh, in a military. Um, you know, decision by Trump when he was in office. I, again, I, I don't know all the aspects of it because it's very vague, um, but the actual words spoken that would probably be played in court if that tape, in fact, is, I'm not saying it doesn't exist, I just haven't heard it yet, um, does seem to be a, a unique demonstration of how maybe at least one document that Trump kept somehow exonerated him from some sort of uh, position that opposition was taking publicly. It's, it's fascinating.
that the smoking gun of that case uh, might have had some sort of intention behind it as to why Trump would have been talking to a reporter about it in the first place and saying he couldn't declassify it now. So what are we supposed to do? It's not the way it's been reported by some that he was just bragging that he has documents that are not um, declassified and they're just sitting in his in his home uh, in in Florida. It's it's more intriguing than that. So I'm hoping for more details uh, there as well. Um, other things out there in the news, as I mentioned a little bit ago, as far as top five stories at five uh, to me are concerned, um, I, I do think the decision that will be made and is likely to be made at some point this week, which it's Thursday, so there's not a lot of this week left in this week on the um, Supreme Court decision for student loan debt forgiveness will spark a lot of reactions from a lot of people, politicians and Others And there is a belief, and I think Forbes is the one that put this out, that maybe the Supreme Court has dropped a hint on upcoming student loan forgiveness case. Uh, I think Forbes is leaning more to the belief that uh, the Supreme Court will go ahead and decide that Biden doesn't have the authority uh, to go ahead and forgive student loans the way in which he did. Uh, but what's also interesting in that write-up is the idea that the um, the two different challenges, court challenges against the student loan debt forgiveness uh, may not have standing to go ahead and try to take up a case, meaning they weren't damaged. Uh, and the two different uh, cases involve uh, people that say that they weren't going to be given the totality of the forgiveness uh, for a variety of reasons. And then actually several states that came together that said that their revenues were going to be harmed uh, by not being able to collect on the student loan payments. So um, states saying that they're harmed financially, uh, or at least uh, organizations within those states farmed financially, and then people saying they are uniquely harmed financially, at least one individual, because uh, they uh, somehow don't wind up getting uh, access. Somehow is the court challenge part that I want to get into, uh, but they're saying that they didn't get access to $20,000 of debt forgiveness and should have, and that that harms them as well. I think the stronger of the two is coming from uh, the states that band together, not the individual, but I'm no legal expert, so who knows? Uh, one other uh, top five at five, and I've been talking about it a bit um, over the last couple of days, but it still uh, feels to me to be one of the biggest stories out there is the story about uh, Jordan Neely and Daniel Penny. Uh, Jordan Neely is the homeless person that died on a subway uh, in New York. And then immediately in early um, May, the story was that um, Daniel Penny killed him and killed him uh, because he's racist. That's essentially what a lot of politicians said and what some media outlets seem to be saying, or at least came pretty close to saying. Uh, Daniel Penny has, of course, defended himself, a 24-year-old uh, Marine, um, saying that he took action because Jordan Neely was threatening people on the train, as well as saying that he was willing to die and willing to go to jail, which are unique things to say out loud to make people around you believe whatever else you're saying is, is serious. I don't know how that court case uh, will go. Uh, I know that after the grand jury decided to indict uh, Daniel Penny on, on what is believed to be one um, second-degree manslaughter charge. Uh, it means that whatever information the grand jury is looking at convinced them that Jordan Neely, or excuse me, Daniel Penny didn't intend to kill uh, Jordan Neely, and that's why it's manslaughter and not murder. Uh, but even more significant than that, uh, and certainly this has been reported on a lot, is that it's it's easy, rather easy, in this world, the world of uh, the Supreme Court in New York, to get an indictment. It will be a very different thing to wind up proving guilt uh, in the in the courtroom itself. And I think here's what I'll say. You know, what? I, I want to say one other thing just general about this. Um, and I've, I've said it a lot on my show as far as court cases that wound up gra grabbing the attention 
of society, of the country, of a lot of people is first and foremost, if you learn anything from the court case, you have to let the entire court case play out. You have to hear uh, the defense. You have to hear the prosecution. You have to hear the entire argument, uh, see all the proof uh, that's provided in court. So that part definitely hasn't happened yet. Uh, a fund me was set up and $2.8 million raised for Daniel Penny's defense. Uh, but beyond that, too, and I've said this on my show before, uh, these court cases don't prove something about society, uh, which feels like the bigger reason that so many are invested in talking about this and trying to you know, have a reaction before all the information is out there about it. Uh, all they prove, every single court case, not just this one, is something about the people involved. Uh, whether that is Jordan Neely or Daniel Penny or anyone else, uh, two other people on that train that were helping uh, Penny restrain Jordan Neely, uh, who are not facing any charges of any kind. I don't even think we know their names. Um, but uh, all of that occurring uh, does not actually teach us a lesson about whether or not, say, our society is inherently racist or if anything else that's the more a grand position on this gets taken. Um, so so those are my two pieces of information on that today is is wait for all the information to come out uh, before having a definitive uh, reaction, although there, there are things uh, that I've talked about on this show that seem to have value. 911 calls, multiple 911 calls uh, went in during the four minutes uh, where uh, Penny was restraining Neely in a chokehold. And people even before that were reporting um, um, being scared and reporting threats uh, occurring. 911 calls, because here's the thing, you know, what? I'll say it this way. I'm bouncing around how to say this, and this is the best way to say it. I lived for years in Chicago. I did late night radio for years in Chicago. Uh, if you wonder what I mean by late night, I was going home between 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning on the CTA on the train, sometimes later than that, sometimes a little bit earlier than that. But I was doing that a lot, especially on weekends, um, more so on weekdays, every single weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday um, evening for years, for years and years and years of my life. So big city, a public transit. I saw all kinds of crazy stuff on the train. I, I inter interacted with all kinds of people. Uh, that seemed to be dealing with all kinds of issues. And the one thing that never occurred on any train I was on, whether a lot of people or just a few people were on it, were uh, people making frantic 911 calls uh, saying that something that was occurring was scary. Because a lot of people who ride the train a lot and New York City um, uh, residents would be very similar to what I was and the years I spent in Chicago. You're not phased by a lot of things. It takes a unique level of of fear to, to find something, you know, um, truly dangerous. And there were times that I switched cars on trains, that someone would come on, they'd behave a certain way, uh, they'd be doing things somewhat similar uh, to what is in this story in the first place, like yelling and and essentially just asking for money of a train. And the behavior, the, the sort of aggressiveness of it uh, made me decide that I get up, I switch to a different uh, train, and I sit on a different uh, car of a train, um, and that's that's all I would do. And a lot of people in New York, of course, would do that, too. So I do find this very uh, intriguing that some of the people that uh, may have made those calls and have been reported on by some of the news organizations are, are said to be lifelong New Yorkers, um, because just experiencing a homeless person on a train, uh, well, that might be something that anyone who's not taking public transit in a big city a lot doesn't really um, um, face. That would not be significant enough for most people who've lived in the city for years and taken public transit for years to be afraid of. That that alone, that happens every day. Uh, I w almost every train I was on at that time of night over the weekend in Chicago would have someone on it that was asking the car for money. 
It happened very, very, very often, and it was not in and of itself scary. Uh, so uh, I think that more information on this case is of the utmost importance to understanding it for anyone that really, truly thinks they know uh, what happened already. Um, although I will also say that the video I saw, and I've said this a bunch, and I, I guess I'm just a broken record in repeating it, I am convinced uh, via that video that Daniel Penny did not intend to kill uh, Jordan Neely, uh, that very much thought he was still alive and was essentially trying to wake him up as the train came to a stop at the uh, the next stop um, about four minutes from when uh, it would have been at its last stop. And uh, not only do am I convinced of that, apparently the, the grand jury is too, because that's why it's a, a manslaughter charge and not a murder charge. Uh, that's what manslaughter, second-degree manslaughter means, is that there was not intent to kill. Quick break, a lot more uh, good story, bad story coming up next, 1470, 100.3 WMBD. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Uh, time for good story, bad story. After the news, I will talk about a giant lawsuit against Starbucks that went in the favor of an employee that got fired uh, for a reason that definitely seems unfair. Uh, I will actually also cover a sort of uh, very uh, moving, unique uh, video out there in the world of uh, the fight between Russia and Ukraine. Um, and one of those stories, thank you to a friend of the show, MT, for sending along my way. Uh, but first, good story, bad story, as I said. Uh, the good story, um, lots of them out there. A man in North Carolina named Michael uh, lost his high school class ring 50 years ago. But he was united with it when it was found by a sheriff deputy in West Virginia. It was discovered during a copper theft investigation, which had nothing to do with Michael. He's not like in trouble or anything like that. But they, they found it. Uh, they wound up realizing uh, whose it was and then reuniting him. Uh, so he is a veteran as well uh, in North Carolina. And he was thrilled uh, to get back his high school class ring. A really, really cool story. I have a little bit of audio that goes with that. Uh, here we go. Got a call from a fellow that says he was a Detective Coleman with the Kanawha County Sheriff's Department. And uh, was I Mike Pedno? And did I go to Broughton High School and graduate in 65? Uh, I think I told him that I hadn't done anything wrong in Kanawha County. <laughs> but I was he, and I did graduate. And he said, well, I think I have your high school class ring. I love that as the first part of the reaction from the, the vet who just got his ring back is I didn't do anything wrong. I wasn't I can tell you where I was a very respectful and being like, well, now I got your class ring and uh, um, enjoy. It's awesome that it's getting uh, getting back to the rightful uh, owner after 50 years. Uh, the bad story real quick. I saw this story uh, here in Illinois. Uh, a 62 year old man named Mark uh, was dreaming. Uh, that someone was breaking into his house uh, in real life. He grabbed a magnum and shot himself. Um, uh, he thought he was shooting an intruder. Um, he shot himself in the leg. He's OK. He survived. He now is going to deal with a, a gun charge. Uh, Mark had a revoked FOID card, which allows gun owners to have firearms, of course, in Illinois. I'm still waiting on mine. I applied for the FOID card a while ago. Heard nothing from the government. Don't know how long that's going to take. Uh, but while he's dreaming, uh, he shoots himself and now uh, according to WGN TV, uh, he is dealing with a, a gun charge, a uniquely bad day in the world of that guy named Mark, uh, 62 in Illinois. A uh, quick break, a lot more coming up in just a bit, including, as I said, a pretty big deal story uh, that was all over Good Morning America uh, this morning and a lot of other places about a Starbucks employee that won a boatload of money. Uh, in a court case uh, filed about something that you probably remember from 2019. And then also a story about a, a military um, conflict or, or, you know, a specific uh, individual uh, that wound up um, 
surrender. It's crazy. I got more um, information about it. There's a drone involved uh, between Russia and Ukraine, and the person who surrendered uh, seemed to not believe that they were going to be taken alive. Uh, so it's something that certainly has been all over uh, the Internet and all over media as well. Uh, both those stories coming up in a bit. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Uh, so a couple bigger stories were out there that should have been in my top five at five. It just got overloaded. So these are the extras at 540 or so, I guess. Uh, a Starbucks employee who was fired after a very viral thing happened. Uh, if you remember back in 2019, uh, two black men went inside a Starbucks. I think it was in Philadelphia. Uh, or this is in April of 2018, actually. Uh, the person got fired in 2019. And they didn't buy anything. And they, they sat down and they said they were waiting for a, a third, um, I think, a business partner or, or something to that effect. Uh, the individual's names were uh, Dante Robinson and Rashawn Nelson. Uh, they eventually were uh, asked to leave. And then um, the police were called. And the two men were removed from the Starbucks. An outcry occurred uh, because... Um, they were uh, they being Starbucks was accused of acting racially. Both men are black, um, as I said. What's interesting about this story is that the manager of the Starbucks is also black. And so for whatever reason, Starbucks actually chose to fire a former regional director uh, that was not at that Starbucks facility at all. Uh, the reason why Starbucks said that they fired uh, this white a woman uh, named Shannon Phillips uh, is because she failed to act um, after this story became something that was public knowledge. So she she failed in her role as a regional director of that um, area where that one Starbucks is located, but not even necessarily just for any just for the state itself, but a much larger area, of course. And so they they blamed her and not anyone that worked inside the Starbucks. Uh, none of the employees or the manager or anyone else uh, at the Starbucks was wound up being reprimanded uh, by by Starbucks. So that a woman, Shannon Phillips, just won $25.6 million in a settlement uh, that includes punitive and uh, compensatory damages, uh, according to Phillips' attorney. Uh, the biggest thing that was reported to have convinced the jury uh, that it was likely going to go in her favor and probably why uh, the settlement money is what it is, is that um, she was the only one that actually lost their job and she was an employee that worked there uh, at that specific uh, location anyway. And she said the reason she was fired was a race. That being white is what caused her to be the scapegoat uh, to this story and not anyone that worked inside that um, Starbucks in Philly. Twenty five point six million dollars. It's a lot of money. Uh, and it caused a, a by the way, the story itself, a racial firestorm in 2018. Uh, Starbucks even, I think, changed its rules publicly to say that you don't have to buy a drink and you can go in, use the bathroom, uh, be in the store. None of that matters. There were a bunch of fallout pieces to it. But what's interesting to me, the most unique thing to me, is that uh, this uh, woman who got fired was able to prove uh, that, you know, race uh, impacted the decision to fire her, uh, something that sometimes I hear academics say uh, doesn't exist uh, when it's white people, uh, that you can't be racist toward a white person. This is a real take in the world of academics because uh, white people are the majority. Uh, well, the court disagreed in this case. I guess you can, in fact, uh, be racist toward a, a white person uh, and cause them to lose their job. Uh, but 25 million bucks, as I said, lots of money. Uh, the other story that uh, should have made the top five at five, uh, but just a lot of stuff going on, is there is a viral video of a Russian soldier 
who apparently was the last or or maybe one of the last soldiers uh, in a, a um, counteroffensive uh, that Ukraine was doing in the area. Um, and at some point, Ukraine was using a drone, by the way, to to fight the um, Russian troops. Um, but at some point, the drone dropped a note. And the note said that if you surrender, uh, you can follow the drone and you won't be killed. And the Russian soldier, who seemed terrified uh, in that moment, uh, was doing like a hand motion where he's putting his his hand across his neck and other things and just saying he wanted to surrender, but uh, he didn't want to be killed. And then I guess the the drone led him uh, to an area where he was uh, caught, apprehended, and then, of course, um, um, you know, uh, not killed. So it's sort of a crazy viral moment in the ongoing conflict between Russia and Ukraine. And I'm sure there's some aspect of it somewhere that's going to be used by some sort of politician uh, to talk about something going on. Uh, but to me and to friend of the show, uh, MT, who's actually the one that told me about uh, that video and that story, it really just shows the the horrible things that war is and the people who, who fight in those wars uh, for their countries. And then inevitably, in that situation, that guy winds up uh, living. And, and most of the people that he was um, fighting with for Russia against Ukraine um, died. So it's it's just an interesting example of, of something that very, very few of us uh, will ever experience, and that uh, the veterans in this country who served and protect our country uh, probably um, view with quite a bit of of different emotion than I view, but certainly a, a moving and, and viral uh, piece of video that's going a lot of places. Um, since I mentioned the veterans, I might as well uh, mention this now. Uh, Peoria Heights VFW is one of my favorite places to go uh, for a variety of reasons. Actually, you know, it's funny. My wife is out of town now, officially as of this morning, for the next week. And all of the bartenders, uh, Jen, Trish, uh, well, several of the bartenders told my wife that they'd keep an eye on me uh, while she was out of town, which means I have to go to the bar. I feel like I almost have to check in there on a nightly basis. Uh, but it is at 1505 East Lake Avenue in Peoria Heights. Uh, 2602 is the post uh, number. Um, the phone number is 309-682-9875, 309-682-9875. Uh, one of the biggest reasons I like the VFW is the amount of things they're doing in the community. Uh, they they raise funds all the time, and then they immediately put those funds to causes. Uh, we, um, we I barely did anything, but they uh, bought a veteran a car uh, recently who needed one, a veteran who's fighting cancer and had their vehicle break down. Uh, they do all kinds of stuff over there. And I actually, I, I heavily encourage you to go hang out, enjoy a drink, a Casper beer, whatever it is, uh, at the bar, play the pool table, play the games in the back. Uh, they have uh, gambling and whatnot, uh, but also just like ask somebody who works there about the causes, the, the philanthropic things they do, because they feel unique to me in everything that they're doing. So 309-682-9875 veterans uh, that are trying to still give back every day uh, to the community. All right. Uh, one other quick story, and then I'll take a break. I just find this funny. I call it a palate cleanser before the break. Heinz uh, apparently is going to be releasing collectible ketchup packets. It's a real story. Uh, they're going to feature all 50 states. It reminds me of when all the states were on quarters, uh, which are actually worth way more money than I imagine the Heinz packets will ever be worth. My mom even collected the quarters. I had like the big giant thing where you put each quarter in. I think you had, you're supposed to get two for each state. Now, she might have even had more than one of those. 
like cardboard uh, quarter, quarter things. Uh, but Heinz is, is trying their hand at this. All the different ketchup packets will be available at SauceMerica.com, which is a heck of a website. Uh, you can go there, and they're hoping that people um, find a lot of interest in this. Uh, the the grand prize for people that collect all of them, and then I think actually like winning a drawing, uh, could be as much as uh, $100,000. So there is money on the line, uh, but it'd be a unique thing to display in your home. A whole bunch of ketchup packets with a whole bunch of different like uh, state pictures and whatnot on them. So we'll see how Heinz does there, but I find that pretty funny. A quick break, a lot more. After the break, I'll tell you the amount of people who think that life is moving slowly. It is a uniquely small number of people uh, that feel like our lives right now are not flying by. A lot of us feel the opposite. Uh, That coming up next on the Craig Collins Show. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Just a few things left. Dave Ramsey taking over in about uh, 14 minutes, 13 minutes or so. Uh, Americans say they need a, a large amount of money to consider themselves rich. Not a million anymore. Being a millionaire, pfft, not rich. Who cares? That's at least what a survey in Modern Wealth says. You need $2.2 million. And this can be in assets. This doesn't have to be in cash on hand, as Ramsey always says. Uh, cash, property, cars, bling is actually listed here. If a majority of my $2.2 million is in bling, someone correct me. Someone stop me. Someone make sure that I, I know my priorities need to be realigned. I want bling to be the, the lowest um, possible portion of my, my full portfolio. Uh, but cash, property, and cars, uh, $2.2 million or more, you are wealthy. Uh, less than $2.2 million, pfft. You're just one of those normal people. Uh, <laughs> I love that so much. I'm not exactly close uh, right now in my life. I don't know about you. I don't know about anybody listening. I don't know if anybody wants to text me uh, their net worth. That'd be fun. I, I feel Ramsey-esque. I'd have no advice for you and uh, what you would want to do to get out of debt or any of that. Like stop spending money on stuff, um, but I'm not good at that myself. Uh, 309-340-4464. If you want the worst financial advice You'll find anywhere on the radio, 309-340-4464. Or I shouldn't say worse, like the most um, simplistic. I have debt. Well, stop spending money. That would be my reaction. And if you ask me if I do that, uh, no, is my answer at times to that. Uh, Other things out there, I thought this was interesting. I already got a couple texts on on this. I I teased it uh, before the break. Uh, People, um, I guess, answered a poll uh, saying, do you feel like your life is going too fast, too slow, or neither? Uh, a texter said they feel like it was just yesterday that they were getting cooties from girls. So that would be too fast, I imagine. Uh, and actually, I remember it. Uh, circle, circle, dot, dot. Now I've got my cootie shot. Uh, triangle, triangle, square, square. Now I got it everywhere. It's a way to protect yourself on the playground as a kid. I was told those things. I remember that uh, quite a bit. I'm definitely too fast for me, too. It's crazy. I was actually talking to my wife uh, the other day about exactly this as we you know, have owned our first home now for a couple years and uh, there's a bunch of other things that have uh, kind of demonstrated how, how fast, like, life moves. Every time she goes back to Mexico, she has nieces and nephews who explode in height. And she's not exactly the tallest person, my wife. She's five feet, if we're being nice, uh, about five feet. And so she winds up being shorter than somebody every trip she goes there. So it's a big thing uh, she talks about and a big thing that makes us feel like life is just flying. One uh, percent of people who answered this survey said that life was going too slow. 1%. Everybody else was definitely in a a different version of things. 32% said it was flying by very quickly. Uh, 38% said fairly quickly. 21 said neither quickly nor slowly. 
Those people can't decide on anything. I feel like that 21% has no idea what they're eating for dinner almost every day, almost all the time. They, they make almost no decisions. Uh, but the 1% say just very slowly, and 3% actually said fairly slowly. Uh, not surprising, a few people did say uh, that life was moving um, slowly because, well, they were younger. Uh, most people who actually gave an answer that um, referenced slow, which, again, was a very small percentage of people who answered, uh, were, were um, probably looking forward to something. You know what? It's funny, actually. I'll say this. I remember when I was looking forward to turning 21 uh, and 16 or, well, even 15 to get the uh, to get the uh, permit to drive, uh, but then to actually get the license in the car. 18, I didn't care about. Uh, that one didn't matter as much to me. 16, big deal. 21, big deal. A lot of fun. I uh, had on my 21st birthday. I am born on Halloween. I was in costume and may or may not have been thrown out of a bar in Chicago. But that's a story for another day and probably not uh, between you and I on the radio. I was fine. Actually, they cheered for me to get back in to the restaurant, uh, the place that I was th- – or the bar that I was thrown out of. So they, they felt bad for me uh, when they asked me to leave and then sort of physically made me leave. Again, story for another day. That's that's all I got, uh, 21. And actually, uh, liquid cocaine is a, is a drink you shouldn't have, a shot you shouldn't do. It's not actual drugs. It's a shot. Look it up. Ruppelmints, 151, Jaeger, all in that thing. Um, mistakes might happen. Uh, but anyway, I remember that it, like it felt slow waiting for those days to, to come, waiting for those birthdays. And then everything since has flown. Everything after 21 feels like I can't get any of that back. I'd probably uh, love to be um, hung over again the day after my 21st birthday, uh, uniquely hung over uh, the day after my 21st birthday, if I could go back in time. Uh, other things out there that I thought were interesting, just a couple minutes left in the show. Um, a woman decided to put her pets into her wedding party. <laughs> I like this a lot. So there's there's a, a couple dogs. There's a cat. Uh, they're wearing suits. Uh, they're part of the the grooms and the, the bride's uh, wedding party. And apparently this made a sister-in-law furious because she was left out of the wedding party. Uh, that's got to be a unique hit. And even nieces and nephews who weren't used as like, you know, flower girls or, or the ring bearer, uh, any of that stuff. Uh, I think that's pretty interesting when you go with the dogs and cats instead, and it says something to some of the family. Uh, probably not an easy thing for the groom, if it was his sister, uh, to, to deal with, where it's like, why does she like uh, her pets more than me? I feel like there's a no-win situation there. But you're just about to get married, so you got to side with the missus. Uh, otherwise, the, the marriage isn't going to go well. Uh, one other thing. I want to play this audio. It's got some slang in it. I don't know how valuable it is, but it's salacious, so we're going to do it to end the show. Uh, Charlie Sheen's daughter is someone that's been accused of being a, a porn star. And so she went on social media to say that's not true. She used slang and she's, she's not a P star. She's something else. I am not a P star and I don't meet up with people. I don't film myself having, I don't do that. That's just not my line of work. All right. And that's not something I'm comfortable with doing. Okay. The only reason I said I'm an S worker is because my main source of income is from my OF. And if people did their research, they would realize that there's multiple forms of S-work. So S-work stands for sex work. OF stands stands for OnlyFans. And I'm very confused. And I doubt that Charlie Sheen is thrilled uh, that his daughter uh, clarified the accusation that she is, in fact, a P-star. Not a P-star. She's an S-worker. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. The amount of slang there just threw me for a loop, too. Way uh, too is... <laughs> many letters and acronyms. <laughs> that is a real story. 